Hey everybody, thanks for joining us again tonight. I'm grateful to be back after a Christmas break. Um, I hope you all have a, had a wonderful holidays and are looking forward to having a good and fun and safe New Year's. I am so excited to introduce a guest that I've been looking forward to having on our show for a very long time and has been highly recommended and praised by a lot of our guests. Tonight we're having Kim Perry from Utah Adoption Specialist. How are you tonight, Kim? I'm fabulous. How are you? Doing well. Thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us. You're welcome. Super excited. So, yeah. So first, I'm just going to have you introduce yourself, what you do. Tell us a little bit about your family, and then we'll jump into your adoption story, and we'll end with your experience as an adoption professional. Okay. So um, first about my family. So I married my husband, Devin. He's fantastic. And we have five kids. Three of them came to us biologically, and two of them were adopted from the great country of Ecuador. So... We have Michelle, who is 16, and Floor, who is 15, turning 16 this week, that were both adopted from Ecuador. Um, Floor came first, and she was seven when we adopted her, and Michelle came later, and she was 11 when we adopted her. Intermixed in there, we had biological kids. So we have a 12-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 4-year-old as well. Um, and let's see, professionally, I work as an adoption professional uh, with a company called Utah Adoption Specialists that I co-founded with three other fantastic ladies. And we do mostly um, private adoptions here in the state of Utah. So we write home studies, do counseling for expectant parents, pre and post placement, and just provide casework and support to people hoping to adopt. So that's what I do professionally. And I think that's what you asked me, right? Did I cover it all? Yeah, what are some of your hobbies? What do you like to do? Oh, I'm one of those people that uh, I didn't think I ever had any talents until I became an adult because <laughs> have any like outward talents that I do. Um, but I learned as an adult, all talents don't have to be outward, but I do like to, um, I like to color like adult coloring books are one of my favorite things. I love to bake. I love to travel, love to spend time with my kids. Um, I love to read and I've recently taken up listening to audiobooks, which is just a fantastic way to read a book. So those are some things I like. Absolutely. What is one of your, or some of your favorite travel spots? Um, well, obviously Ecuador, we've been there a number of times and we love, love, love it. We're hoping to go back in the next year ish or so. Um, and really anywhere with a beach. I love anywhere with a beach. I'll take a beach any day. Love it. So speaking of Ecuador, what circumstances brought you and your husband to considering adopting the two girls that you have from there? So, um, when I was a college sophomore, I heard about an opportunity to go down and volunteer in an orphanage down in Quito, Ecuador. Um, and so I went thinking like, I'll just have this experience for a part of my college life. And, um, I was there for three months. And while I was there, I just fell in love with this baby that was there. Um, and I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to adopt her someday, having no idea what that really entailed and what that meant. Um, but at the time my husband was serving a mission for our church and he, I was writing him letters and telling him about this little girl and sending pictures and stuff like that. Um, but little did I know that he would one day become my husband and we were a package deal, me and my daughter. So we started the adoption process as soon as we could. When we were, um, 25 years old, we were very young, very naive, knew very little about anything in life. Um, but we just knew that we wanted to adopt her. So we started the adoption process when, we were 25. It took about 18 months total. 
and brought her home when we were 26 years old. Um, and then three years later, we started the adoption process for our daughter, Michelle, who was from a same, the same orphanage. And um, I just had tried really hard to find her a family because I work in the adoption field and thought I can find, you know, I know people, I can find a family for this little girl. And then it, you know, came to us. We felt led again that we were supposed to adopt her and she joined our family three years after our daughter thwarted. So that's a little bit about what led us to adoption. I love that. So with you and your husband adopting at such a young age, what were some of the hardest things for you to know or know or do to get that adoption? I know a lot of people in general struggle with knowing what to do, but especially being so young, what how'd you guys do it? Um, so I uh, never sugarcoat how difficult the adoption process was for us. I think I went, we went into it, like I said, very naively. We had no idea um, some of the challenges and difficulties of adopting older children. Um, our daughter, Floor, has very severe special needs. So we had no idea what that would entail and what that would um, encompass for our family. But we went into it, and I think that we probably needed that kind of naivety because if we didn't, we probably wouldn't have done it. But it was the right thing for us to do, and I think some of the biggest challenges we faced in the beginning, first of all, we were young college students. We were not, we didn't have a lot of money at the time. And so finance, finances were a big deal. That was a hard, that was a hardship for us because international adoption is not cheap. And so we had a lot of help from family members and we had a lot of help from fundraising and things like that to help us, helped us um, cover the costs of our adoption. And we took out a, a slight loan to, to finish the adoption process. And then we donated plasma. My husband and I both donated plasma for like years to pay off that adoption loan. Um, so that was one thing, just financially, we, we didn't have the money to do it, but then getting her home, we just, we didn't have, like I said, we didn't really have any idea of what trauma meant and how that would manifest in our little, in our little girl who, although she's nonverbal and she's still nonverbal, she's almost 16, but she still had trauma. She had lived in four different orphanages by the time we adopted her and her trauma manifested in different ways. And so we had to really like educate ourselves on what that was and what it looked like and how we could help her. Um, and that meant doing therapies for her and therapies for ourselves and just reading a lot of books and doing a lot of training and doing a lot of um, educating so that we knew how to best support her. Um, so that's one thing that I would tell anyone looking into adoption and especially looking into adopting older children that they are going to come with some trauma and that's just part of their story. It doesn't, it's nothing that they did wrong, but it's something that's always going to be with them and something that you have to be able to learn how to navigate and help them with. How do you know that you've reached the point where counseling is a beneficial decision for, for you and for the child? Um, <laughs> I would say start it right off the bat especially with an older child adoption. Um, I, I mean, I recommend counseling for everybody. I'm a counselor, I'm a social worker. I've been in this field for a long time and guess what, I go to counseling. I think it's a great thing for everybody to have a resource and an outlet to talk about different things, especially life um, changes and challenges and things like that. And so I think it's just a good thing to do anyway, even if you're adopting an infant, because you're coming into that almost, almost guaranteed, you're coming into adopting your infant with some loss and some grief of your own. Something has led you to this path that has been hard for you. And so taking that time to get some counseling for yourself is really good. Um, but I think just any signs of 
you know, hardship and having your child with um, different challenges, adapting to your family, different behaviors, stuff like that. Those would be good times to seek out some counseling and some therapy. Awesome. What were some of the main struggles as far as the transition went with you adopting as well as having your biological children? So when we adopted Floor, um, she was seven years old and we had been given very sparse medical records on her. We really didn't know. We really didn't know what we were getting into. We didn't know what developmentally she was like. I had known her as a baby, but a baby and a seven-year-old are different, right? So as a baby, I could tell that she had some special needs, but I really didn't know what that meant. She turned one while I met her in the orphanage. Um, but age seven, when we went to go adopt her, we had no idea if she was walking. We had no idea if she was talking. We had no idea if she was potty trained. She didn't have a formal diagnosis. So we went through that whole process when we got home. Um, and so that was a, that was a big challenge. But in addition to that, we also had our, we had two biological children at the time we went to adopt her and they were three years old and nine months old by the time we traveled to Ecuador to go get her. So you can imagine, we came home, we're 20, 26 years old, three really small children, Floor was seven, but she, we still call her like our youngest. She's like our baby because of her developmental age and a child with severe special needs that we were learning to adapt to. Um, and I'll just share one, one brief story, but the orphanage when we went to pick her up said to us, oh, hey, Floor is, she's seven now and she is ready to be potty trained. So this is something that we should, you guys should endeavor to do. Like you should take her and go and potty train her. It will be fantastic. And we're like, yeah, okay. Like you're the experts in this little girl. We'll take her and we'll go potty train her. And it was the worst possible idea because right off the bat, we were trying to teach her to do something that she wasn't capable of doing. She's still not potty trained. She's six, 16, almost 16. And all it did was cause like contention. She was mad at us because we were trying to make her do something she didn't have the capability of doing. And we were mad at her because they told us that she should be able to do this and she couldn't do it. And so it caused just a ton of frustration off, right off the bat for her, for her and for us. And so I think going in for adoptive couples to recognize that you probably shouldn't do anything major, any major changes to their life. They're already having enough major changes when they come into a new family. Um, anything like that, it's not a big deal if it needs to wait another six months or a year or whatever. Um, you don't need to do anything else that's going to cause them disruption or turmoil turmoil in their lives. Awesome. Um, let's kind of transition to your experience with Utah Adoption Specialist. Share with us what led you to starting that organization and, and how it's blossomed into what it is today. A lot of a lot of people speak very highly of you and your organization. So that's amazing. We love our people. We love our people. Um, so I started working in an adoption agency here in the state of Utah right out of school when I had my bachelor's degree, and um, I formed relationships with my coworkers. We all worked at that same agency, and that agency stopped doing adoptions um, around 2013, and while they were transitioning out of adoptions. Um, one of my coworkers, her name is Lauren. Lauren and I one day happened to be riding the train to Salt Lake City together. There's a front runner train that goes back and forth. And as we're riding the train, we both just started talking and thinking like there, there's gonna be a hole in services in the state of Utah. We need to be able to provide services to adoptive parents at a more cost-effective rate than agencies. There's a lot of agencies in Utah, but they're very, very expensive for adoptive couples. 
And so we thought with our agency going out of business, which was a lower end cost for adoptive couples, we need to provide something that couples can still adopt and not cost their entire life savings, you know, or they're not going to be able to adopt more than one time because they've spent all their money on one adoption. So we started the groundwork and had the idea for a company called Utah Adoption Specialists. And it's, we started in 2013 and in 2014, we started taking our first clients and it has just become a really wonderful blessing for us. And I think for the adoption community in the state of Utah, because couples have an option where they can come to us and they pay us for their home study. We provide full counseling and, and casework services to them at no additional cost. And then we can provide services on the other end to expectant parents as well um, for counseling. And they pay for exactly what they get. They don't pay for a big lump sum of anything. They just pay for the services that they use. Um, and then they hire an attorney once they're matched with an expectant parent, which is something that we help them with as well. We help them learn how to match on their own um, through social media and word of mouth and things like that so that they can kind of, you know, be that their own middle person. And then we provide all the services on the side and in conjunction with an attorney with an attorney, sorry. So that has become, yep, our business is, it's just a big blessing to us. And I think to the adoption community at large here in Utah. I believe it. I live in North Idaho, like 600 miles away. And I hear about you guys like every day. So um, kudos so, to you. Your organization is phenomenal. And I'm so proud of all you guys have done. Um, thank you. A little bit about the matching process. I know you said you give a lot of tips to, adoptive couples who are hoping to match privately and i see a lot like so many social media platforms that are just struggling to gain traction um, because there are some influencer adoptive mamas that have thousands of followers and some are are, are struggling to get 50. so what are some yeah. tips or advice for those who are hoping to find a match via social media that just can't find the traction um so i guess i would first say that there's different methods where people are going to find their baby and social media is one platform but by and large the biggest way that our couples are matched is by word of mouth so somebody that knows somebody and having a social media profile is great because that gives a resource where that expectant parent can go and look at the couple and get information and whatever um but most of the time it's word of mouth that they're being matched because, and it makes sense to me um, from an outsider's perspective, if, if I'm an expectant parent looking for a family who I want to place my baby with, someone who gives me a personal referral to a family and says, hey, I know this family, they're fantastic, here's what I like about them, that's going to resonate with me more than going on an online website and looking at a, a hundred or a thousand profiles, right? People can put whatever they want online. Um, and so having that personal referral is really, I would say the biggest way our couples are matched. Social media, I think is a great second way that people are matched sometimes. Um, and I don't, I don't know what the magic key is. Honestly, I don't. There are some people that get on there, just like you said, and they gain a ton of traction and they get, um, a lot of followers and they find pe people find them right away. And there's other families that I think are fantastic and they don't get that same traction. So I don't know what the magic solution is there, but I do advise my couples to always be using their social media platforms um, because you just never know, even if it's your own friend that sees you on social media, who they're going to know in the future and then are going to connect that person back to you. Um, but I think Instagram and Facebook are great. People can boost posts on there and we encourage them to do that sometimes to help um, using hashtags is great that helps a lot too, but I wish I had the magic key. I don't. 
Of course. No. Um, and that's what we tried to do when we started this podcast is just keep the adoption community connected. Um, so a question that I was faced with today for the first time, are you guys a resource? Because I know that a lot of hopeful adoptive parents come to you guys for advice and to use your services. Are you guys also a service that can provide assistance for the match? So if someone is expecting an expectant mother, what do they, what is the best way to send them or to match them with a good couple? Do they send them to you or do we send them straight to the couples or? That's a great question. Um, we can provide counseling to them and we like to, if they're considering adoption, um, we provide options counseling and really I'm, I'm of a firm belief that op- adoption is not the right option for everybody, you know? So we want them to make the right choice for them and helping them know exactly what adoption is and connecting them to hearing other birth parents' stories or hearing, um, you know, reading books or whatever resources they need to help make that decision. Um, and so we're happy to be that person. And then if they do decide, yes, I do want to place my baby for adoption, um, we have resources where we can help lead them to websites or different places where they can go online and pick a couple. The state in the state of Utah, matching is defined as taking money for that service. And so we don't match because we don't charge any money to connect people together. Um, but it, we can refer them to different websites and things like that and say, hey, you can go pick a couple on one of these websites and see who you like or social media. Go look at hashtags or whatever else and connect them that way to resources. Terrific. A question that I've been, um, I don't think I've ever asked it on this show because I've been waiting for a professional like yourself is adoption language and vocabulary. Um, Words to stay away from and words to use. It's very difficult for those who are not well versed in the community of adoption. So can you kind of teach us what words to avoid and and what phrases to use when talking about adoption to be sensitive to both parties? Hey, that's a great question. I really like that. The social worker in me wants to turn around and like ask you questions because you're an adoptee, right? (laughs) So I want to say like, hey, you should share your experience, which I'm sure you have, because your voice is the most valuable. Listen, I mean, birth parent voices are very important. Adopted parents are probably the least important voice to be listening to in the triad, which is me, but here we are listening to me. Um, But adoptees, I think we do not hear from adoptees enough. So if people have this question, I think it is a fantastic question to ask to an adoptee and say, what is a good question or a good way to phrase things and what is not? In general, I'll give you a few that are kind of big ones. Um, Placing the baby versus giving up or gave away the baby is a huge one. I, when I started my first job at an adoption agency, I went into my interview and I used the phrase, give up the baby for adoption, which I'm like mortified now because that's like adoption 101. I still got the job, which is shocking, but I, that's just not a phrase that you use in the adoption world. And the reason why is because if you think about it, gave up or gave away, it really has a negative connotation. You think about giving away or giving up old habits or old socks that you're not going to wear anymore or, you know, clothes that don't fit. Um, when you place a baby, the language indicates that it is a decision that was made thoughtfully and carefully and with a lot of consideration. And so that's the number one one I would say that people, if everyone out in the world could change that vocabulary, that would mean a lot. And I mean, people that I'm close to and my family members still use the wrong adoption language and I still correct them every time because I'm just like, you know what? It's like nails on a chalkboard to me to hear someone gave up their baby. 
Um, so placing the baby for adoption is a big one. Um, other ones are like real versus birth parent or biological parent. Um, a lot of people have asked me in my day, you know, where are your girls is real parents. And I'm not offended because I know what they mean, but I think I look pretty real. I parent them day to day. I'm not fake. Um, I am their real parent, but if they mean, so I'll just correct them and say, do you mean their biological parents or do you mean their birth parents? That's a correct, the correct term. Um, and a lot of times you don't even need to use the, you know, the, the words real or birth or whatever. I'm their mom. You don't have to refer to me as their adoptive mom, right? Just mom. Birth mom, you know, sometimes you have to have that clarifier in there if you're talking about a different person, but a lot of times birth moms just go by their first name. So you don't have to have that in there. Um, I'm trying to think of other big ones. I've we've probably said it throughout this interview, expectant parents versus birth parents. Expectant parents are people that are still pregnant. They haven't made an adoption plan for sure. No one is a, a birth parent until they actually sign the paperwork um, terminating their parental rights. Until then, they are the parent. They are an expectant parent. They can always change their mind. So those are some big ones. I love that one. The one that's I'm honestly very um, lenient when it comes to adoptive language as an adoptee. Right. Like when people talk, I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Like I know that they don't really understand. The only one that's really irked me is like, what about your real mom? And I'm like, um, my mom has worked her tail off for yeah. me my whole life. She's my real mom. She did, um, yeah. So that's the only one that kind of ever irked me. I've always known that we say place. So I correct people, but, but as a resource, we don't do much matching. So we don't, we're not faced with that one a lot. So yeah, um, I love that. Really enjoyed you being on the show. I want to have you kind of give a quick testimonial about your adoption experience in general, and then give any advice that you'd give to hopeful adoptive parents um, that are looking to, to start. I know that a lot of people who use you, but I also know that a lot of our, um, our viewers are people that have no idea where to start. So give some okay. advice as well. Okay. Um, I just would say that the biggest thing I think I've, I've hit on it as I've talked is just to be aware that adoption, um, while a beautiful, wonderful thing, it stems from loss. And so there's loss on all, all ends of the triad. And it's very, very important to go into it knowing that and recognizing that you need to do a little bit of education. Um, to be in a good place, education and therapy and whatever, to be in a good place to adopt a child, um, no matter where they're coming from, even if they're an infant or an older child. I just love, love, love when I work with adopted parents who are so willing to do whatever they can to educate themselves. They go to the classes, they talk to birth parents, they attend birth parent panels, they read the books, they do all those things because that says to me that they want to be the very best parent they can for the child that's going to come into their home. And so I would just say that is the number one advice is to just be willing to learn and to learn from lots of different perspectives. So listen to birth parents, listen to adoptees, talk to other adoptive parents, um, and just gain a lot of perspective. As far as where to start, I think that's going to vary from location to location and also what type of adoption people are planning on pursuing. Um, in Utah, obviously, we're a great place to start. We're really willing to help with whatever you need. And you always have to have a home study to move forward with any other steps in the adoption process. So that's the first step you would take is to get a home study. And then hopefully your home study provider can provide you with um, guidance and casework and resources and what steps to take after your home study is complete. I love that. Um, 
A lot of people say that the home study was probably the most stressful part of the adoption process minus the waiting. So what tips would you give to people who are very stressed or like um, worried about that process? What would you have them do to be fully prepared for the home study? So I think that home study is a lot less stressful when it's done. Like people get done and they're like, oh, that wasn't bad at all. I think people psych themselves out for this really awful thing. There's kind of two components. A home study is not just a visit it to the home and making sure, making sure it's a safe place to live. Um, a home study is like a, it's a written document that ent in, entails every aspect of the person's life. So just be really prepared that we're going to get personal real fast. And um, I'm going to know a lot about you when you're done, but that's okay. I've been doing this for a very long time and I know a lot about a lot of people but I don't remember all the nitty gritty details. I remember what I like about you. I remember your personalities. I remember that stuff. Um, so I would say not to be nervous about the kind of invasive nature of the questions that we're going to ask for the home study process. Um, and as far as the home visit, the portion where we come to your home, I know a lot of people get really worried about that, but it's not a white glove test. We're just looking for a safe environment for a child. So almost all the time, houses are gonna pass just the way they are. We're not gonna really have you do anything different in your home because we assume that you're, and you, most of the time they are. People are great, they're safe, they might have other children in the home, the, the home is safe already for, for children. So I would just say that it's probably a lot less stressful um, by the time it's over than what people think it's gonna be. Love that. Uh, I kind of feel tugged to ask you a quick question about the finances. I know you said that that was a very difficult part of your adoption decision. What resources do you know of um, that people can reach out to if that's a big worry about theirs? Because I know a lot of people want to adopt and they just know that they can't afford it because they hear the word $50,000 and they're like, don't, don't give it a second thought. Yeah. Um to that, I would say, first of all, if you're doing an infant domestic adoption, you don't need to spend $50,000. There are resources to help you to do it privately and independently. You can do it just as well independently as you can through an agency. You might have to do a little more legwork. You are responsible for paying for counseling for your expectant parents and things like that, for example, um, and you should not cut corners but you can still find the right resources to do it without paying an agency a matching fee of $30,000 or whatever. Um, so that said, if finances are still a concern and some adoptions, they will be. Some people feel led to go through an agency. That's fine. We totally support that. If that's where their baby is going to come, you, you go through that agency. Um, international adoption, same thing. It's a lot more expensive. And so I would just say, do what you can to figure out your financial resources yourself. My husband and I applied for every grant there is under the sun when we adopted our daughter. And like I told you, we were 25 years old and we were so dirt poor. We were living in a tiny little house. We had no money and we didn't qualify for any of the grants. They didn't give us any of the grants. And so I, I tell people like, don't bank on that. That's not something that you can plan on getting if you're going to go into this adoption and say like, I'm going to get all the grants out there. You may not. Um, and so figure out what you can do. Can you cut out going out to eat? Can you cut out soda? I probably couldn't, but can you cut out you know, whatever it is that you can do? Um, can you donate plasma? That's what my husband and I did to pay off of our, our adoption loan. Can you take a second job? Um, I have a couple right now that took up driving um, Uber twice a week or whatever. So all that money is just additional and it goes into their adoption fund. Um, can you sell something? Can you 
do a second line of credit on your home? Can you, do you have family members that are willing to help you? Can you do some sort of fundraiser? I've had couples do the most creative fundraisers. We had one couple that put on a, a concert of their own because they're very musical and they had everyone pay like a, you know, $5 fee and they got to come to the concert and they got to have a hot dog dinner or whatever. And I think they raised like $8,000 from this one night of concert. So you just get creative, use your skills, use your resources, have a garage sale. There's tons of different options and ideas of what you can do um, to start raising some money. And in, re in all reality, that's what expectant mamas want to see is someone that works hard and that's creative and totally. will do whatever it takes to provide for their kids. So um, totally, I love that. Thanks so much, Kim. Uh, yeah. I'm like... I'm just beaming. I'm so excited to finally have you on the show. Your oh, wow. content is gold. Everybody, I put her at sign on um, under her title. She provides some of the most amazing, inspirational um, adoption content on her social media. So please go follow her. Kim, thanks so much. I wish you the best of luck. Please keep in touch. Yeah. I hope you have a happy new year. Um, and and once again, I just I just couldn't thank you enough. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks. It's been so fun. Of course. Everybody, I uh, I really appreciate all your love and support this year. We received records amounts of donations. We were able to give three families grants. Those will be announced very soon. We are attempting to provide them as surprises, so it's taking a little longer. Um, but just know that we're thinking and, thinking and praying for all of you guys out there who are facing circumstances that may be leading you and your family to adoption. So thanks so much for all you do for us and we appreciate it. And I hope you all have a happy new year. We'll see you in 2021.